0: Well, Lord, would you open our hearts today to the word of God? Would you make us, Lord, strong? We do not look at the, the world around us. We look at the greatness of our God and the calling on us and the promises that are ours. You said that if we feed ourselves in your word, everything we do will prosper. Lord, and, and our prospering, we don't... We don't we're not looking for another car, most of us. We, we are looking, Lord, for spiritual prosperity, that we will see our lives mean something and matter and touch others, that we will grow in Christ ourselves, that you will use us powerfully. I ask you to disciple us today through your word. I ask you to disciple me. And I ask, Lord, I grace me to speak your word and let us see you. We love you, Jesus. You are our Lord and our master, and we love you with all our hearts. May may your word, may you speak to us and train us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We are in John 10. We're going to talk about how to hear God and how to depend on his power. In other words, how to step out. We start praying. He says, you do this. This is the next step in bringing in the harvest. Here we go. John 10 I guess I'll just tell you where we are in the story a little bit. We are at December. By the spring of this year at Passover, Jesus will be crucified. So it's this last portion. He is walking in the, in the temple area uh, in what's called the Portico of Solomon. And there was a great covered, actually three-story structure, uh, that covered with the uh, south end of the Temple Mount, a portion of it. Temple Mount itself is 32 acres, 36 acres. It's a huge area. Those flat stones are all still there, same stones. And when we can go up on the Temple Mount, when we go to Israel, and we do if we can, it's kind of a political issue, um, we go, and I'd like to go over that area a little bit and just sort of say, so where did he walk? (laughs) You know, because he did on one of those you know some of those and so he was walking in the shelter of this great covered portico and uh, john says it was winter and he probably is telling us it was raining uh, or it was uh, uh, snowing even possibly in some sorts, you've got the cold of winter he's walking in there and some of the sanhedrin some of the highest court of israel's judges came and they surrounded him in a circle. This is very intimidating. This is not a happy moment. This is not a friendly moment. This is an ugly moment. They surround him, and they begin to badger him. And they begin to say to him, uh, so when are you going to, in the language, the literal language is lift up our soul in worship? When are you going to lift, give us the joy of where we'll be worshiping God because you will announce that you're the Messiah? Oh, we are so waiting for you to do that, O oh Messiah. Say, you're the Messiah. They want him to speak the word Messiah. They want him to call himself that technical term because it has all kinds of political ramifications. If he says it, you're going to have the, the Romans and everybody else uh, involved. It's a political thing. So it's just an, 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 a nasty moment. And Jesus responds to them and he says to them, he says, I've told you. And he says, and my works have told you. And he says, but you don't believe. And he says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they, they follow me. And then he makes these wonderful statements. And he says, and no one will take them out of my hand. And, and, and he's, he's, I, I think he's telling them, you're going to kill me. You know that and I know that. But you will not get my people. You cannot stop what I've started. And they couldn't either, could they? I mean, look at, look, look, at, look, at, uh, look at the church. I mean, they crucified him. He resurrects. It. He's really hard to kill. And, and back he comes. And, you know, on the first day of Pentecost, you got 3,000. And the thing just kept growing exponentially. Uh, estimates are within three years or so, you had 100,000 believers in, in Jerusalem. When he says, you can't, they're mine and you can't get them. You can kill me. And in fact, I think he's saying you can kill them. And, and I still... We'll have them. I will not lose one of them. And then he makes this amazing statement. He says, I and the father are one. Say that with me. I, I and the father are one. are one. At that point, they picked up stones to, throw, to, to stone him. Now let, let me, let's, you know, the picture in our minds is, well, they were going to start throwing them at him immediately. You don't have an execution in the temple. You get, you get them out. Uh, so no, they weren't going to stone him right there. But they picked these things up. And I don't know if they have a pile that somewhere. <laughs> you know, where do you, where do you put all these stones. Um, so they picked up something. And what they're doing is saying, we're going to have a stoning. We're going to execute you. But to have that in, in Judaism, you've got to have a trial. They've got to prove him guilty. So he basically says, so what are you charging me with? And, and and they say, well, for making yourself, for making yourself equal to God, for making yourself God is actually the, the, the word, the words itself, for making yourself God. And then he comes back and he says something that just really, if you and I don't know what we're reading, and, and, and as of about two days ago, I didn't. So if you do good for you, this is a one of the toughest statements. He says, Doesn't your scripture say, I said you are gods? Remember this? I've heard that passage used, by the way, very, very dangerously. Yeah. Uh, it's used in the word of faith movement uh, to, the, to do this. Well, God created by the power of words. He spoke things into existence through the power of words. That is not true. He created by the power of the Holy Spirit. When, he says, when, it, when it says he spoke, and I do believe he spoke, it shows how easy creation is for him. It isn't a matter of that there's somehow a metaphysical power that when you say stuff, it creates it. Don't go there. That's, that's weird magical metaphysics stay out of that and you aren't divine it does not mean that you and I too as we are gods and so we too create through the power of our words that's a horrible uh, theology that's draw, drawn off of this thing but I didn't know what to do with the passage the passage and it's in your daily bible study I explain this in, 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 in detail in there, and there's some more that you didn't get but it, it'll be in the next one The passage means this. It's out of Psalm 82. And what you and I don't realize is that there's a number of places. There's an entire theme in the Old Testament in which God speaks, God himself calls humans gods. It started at the burning bush with with, uh, Moses. And the Lord literally says to him, I will make you Elohim to Pharaoh. And you will... And Aaron will be your prophet, is one places. And he'll say, I'll make you as me, as God. And he's not deifying Moses. But he is saying, you will stand in my place as my representative and my intermediary. And you will speak on my behalf. And then when he appointed the 70, you remember this? Moses was overwhelmed with so many people uh, and... and uh, And his father-in-law, Jethro, came to him and said, you need to uh, have others do it. And God says to him, set apart for me 70, and I will take the spirit that's on you, and I will place it on them. Do you remember this? This is the beginning, the 70, is the beginning of the Sanhedrin. Who is it who's standing in a circle around him? Sanhedrin, for the most part. So the, 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 the judges of Israel. So in Psalm 82... The Lord says to the judges of Israel I have made I have called you gods and yet he goes on to say you have, you have you have you have violated my people it's a it's a judgment they know the people standing there listening to him know that passage I didn't know that passage and you didn't either for the most part because the English translators are uncomfortable with what i just said i am too and so they translated it out and so when you go to many of those passages you won't see what i just said you have to go to the hebrew which i did this week and i read it in the hebrew and there it is elohim 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 And i thought my goodness jesus knew that they knew that and these 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 people are having this conversation so here's 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 how it went down they said you make yourself god And Jesus turns to them and says, and didn't God say to you, you are God's? Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, then why do you say to him who the Father set apart and sent into the world that I've somehow blasphemed because I say I'm I'm son of God? At that point, the, the discussion goes on. It says... He challenged them. He said, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And they were seeking again to seize him. And he eluded their grasp. Let's reflect for a moment on our walk with God. When was the last time that you and I did something because we felt God told us to do it? And then he showed up and did some sort of miracle or we would have failed. Now, just stop for a second. When was the last time you did something because you felt God told you to do it? And if he hadn't shown up with his power in some way, you would have been toast. You had to have him help you. How many can remember such a moment? Raise your hands. Raise them high. Yeah. You're going to understand what I'm talking about. If you, don't, if, you, if you say, I can't remember ever doing something like that, this is going to be a little bit difficult to understand, but bear with it, because you can do this. A lot of us have this thinking in our minds that there are some people who are highly spiritual, and, and they can do these kinds of things. And then there's me, and I'm just sort of, well, I'm just me, and I just can't do that. It's not true. You, every one of us in this room, have been created in God's image, Correct? And that means, if it means anything, that you are essentially spiritual. You are. If, if, if you were to die right now, your body falls to the ground. But the conscious person that I'm talking to right now, who's listening to my voice, you are awake, alert. It takes you a minute or two to realize, whoops, look what just happened to me. And, and you go to be with the Lord. Do you understand? You don't disappear. Your conscious mind doesn't stop. You are spirit. You can't kill spirit. You can't stop spirit. You are forever. From now till forever, you exist. That's the good news, and that's also the warning, isn't it? We long to be with God. long to be with God forever. That's what this is all about. That's why Jesus came for us. So you can move in the spirit. You can hear in the spirit. You do hear in the spirit. You may not even know you hear in the spirit, but you do. So it isn't a matter of somehow becoming something you're not, but of recognizing how God has made you. If the answer is never or it was long ago, I can't remember, what we're going to talk about today may be challenging to understand, but we have to try because according to Jesus, hearing from God and depending on his power is the normal way every believer is supposed to function. The spiritual world is very real, and we are all capable of functioning at that dimension. But if we haven't been taught how things work, we may be hesitant to act or doubt that what we're sensing is accurate. In our lesson today, we will hear Jesus tell us how he walked with God, and then we will hear him pray that you and I will do the same. And then we'll examine four ways God speaks to us and nine ways his power helps us. Three terms, one meaning. On a winter day in Jerusalem, surrounded by members of Israel's highest religious court, Jesus described his walk with the Father using three terms he repeats on several occasions in the Gospel of John. He spoke of the works that I do in the Father's name. Would you say, in the Father's name? name. He spoke of being one with the Father. Would you say, one? one? And he said, the Father is in me and I in the Father. Would you say that? The Father is in me, and I am the Father. I believe these three terms are three ways of saying the same thing. All three describe his relationship with God the Father. Everything he did, he did in the Father's name. And he and the Father worked together as one. And this was possible because the Father was in Jesus, guiding, revealing, and empowering him. And Jesus was in the Father, representing him, Expressing his character, submitting to his will, and depending on his power. Did you follow what I just said? The Father, Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. Guiding, revealing, and empowering Jesus. Jesus representing, expressing, submitting to, and depending upon the Father. Describing a relationship. By observing Jesus, people could see what the Father was doing or saying in that particular situation. Like a glove over a hand, he perfectly expressed the Father's will. The Son submitted to and obeyed the Father's guidance so completely that to see one was to see the other. To be one in this case did not mean the Father and Son were identical persons. Had Jesus intended to say that he say that, he would have used the masculine form of the word one, which would have caused the verse to read, I and the Father are one person. Now, that's the way we often hear that passage. I and the Father are one, like they're just sort of one, they're one person. But he didn't. He used the neuter. And by using the form, that form of the word, in effect, he said, I and the Father function as two persons contributing to the same task. Let me stop for a second. In Greek, The word, all the numbers, but the word one is is declined. It, it, It takes, it's either masculine, feminine, or neuter, depending on who it's talking about or what it's talking about. Follow that? And then it even takes different forms as to how it's used in a sentence. Never mind, that's... But here's the point. He said, the Father and I are one thing, as it were. He didn't say we are one person. He didn't use the masculine. He could have. He didn't. And I'll show you another example. Paul does the same thing using the same situation. Watch this. Paul uses the neuter form of the word one in the same way in a statement he made to the church in Corinth. He said, and the one planting and the one watering, they are one. And again, a neuter form of the word one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul was speaking about two persons, a planter and a waterer. But he said they were one because they were united in purpose, both part of the same task. Whenever Jesus described his relationship with the Father, he always put the Father in the role of the initiator. The Father starts everything, and it is by his power that all things are accomplished. Jesus described himself in their relationship as the responder. The one who carried out the father's wishes and drew upon his power to perform the works that he did. At the same time, Jesus repeatedly affirmed that he was God's divine son who existed in heaven before becoming a man. There is no contradiction between these two truths. His submission to the father and his divine nature. In no way does submission indicate inferiority. You you, you understand what I just said? He is no less divine than the father. But he is not the father. He is the son. And he gladly honored the father and sought to carry out his will in everything he did and said. There are people who have a a hard time with that idea. They're saying, well, if he submits to the father, he's not equal to the father. That's ridiculous, honestly. That's sort of our cultural bias. Um, My son is no less human than I am. He is my son, however and I'm the father and I don't forget that and neither does he <laughs> there's an honor that you and I give to our parents is there not yeah. or, or in a healthy home in a healthy, healthier family there's an honor and a submission it does not mean we're less than it means we honor the role right well, that's all that's going on in, the father, in, in, in heaven the son honors his father he is the divine son the only he's a begotten son not a created being. He's a begotten son. He's divine. The angels worship him. But he is the son. And you see this lovely relationship which he just constantly, the father, he, he surrenders to the father and serves him in all things. And the father then in turn the, loves his son and lifts him up and says, gives him authority over all his creation. You see this relationship between two persons. He is the son and he gladly honored the father and sought to carry out his will in everything he did and said. The father, on the other hand, constantly showed his love for his son and placed all things except himself into his hands. The relationship Jesus is revealing is something very beautiful, not confusing if we will simply believe exactly what he said. This unity between the father and the son is a beautiful truth. And we might be tempted to admire it from a distance, assuming that it is a special relationship meant only for the father and his only begotten son. But Jesus doesn't let us think that for long. Time and again, he said to his followers that because of his cross and resurrection, he, we would be given the opportunity to have this same relationship. Only our relationship would be with the father and Jesus. In a prayer, he prayed in the upper room just before he was arrested. Jesus specifically asked the Father to give us the same relationship that he had. But in his request, he included himself. Now, our relationship would be with the Father and Jesus. Listen, why don't you read this with me? I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. He asks the Father to keep us in his name. Everything Jesus did, he said he did in the Father's name. He says, Father, I pray they do it too. I pray that they also will be in your name. Let's read this next quote I do not ask on behalf of these. 11, those are the 11 disciples in the upper room alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, the Holy Spirit, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them... And you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. Do you hear those language? He'd use three terms with those, with those uh, leaders uh, that were surrounding him there. He's, he spoke of being one, did he not? He spoke, of being, he, 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 he spoke of being, doing in the Father's name. And he said the phrase, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And then he says, Father, I pray that my people, everyone who comes to faith in me through these, these apostles of mine, I pray that the same thing be true for them. I pray that they be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. I always took that to mean that we'd get along. He's sort of praying, I wish my people would be nice to each other and like each other. And if they would, everybody would believe in me. I don't think that's what it means primarily. I think what it means is he wants you and I to be functioning in complete submission to him and to the Father. That we are to be moving as he leads us. We are to be the hand, we are to be the glove, as it were, over the hand. We're to be responding and listening to Him and and acting on what He tells us to do, just as He did with the Father. We're to be in the same relationship. In this prayer, Jesus used the same three terms He used in His dialogue with the religious leaders that we just read. He prayed that we would remain in the Father's name, that we would be one, and that we would be in the Father and the Son, just as He had been in the Father. In other words, he prayed that you and I would have a relationship with God exactly like the one he had. But for his prayer to be answered, you and I have to learn two basic spiritual skills. First, we have to learn how, to communi- how God communicates with us. For us to walk with God like Jesus walked, we have to be able to recognize his guidance. And second, we have to learn how to let the power of the Holy Spirit work in and through us. He's calling us to live in the realm of miracles. But it all starts with hearing from God. So let's ask, how does God communicate with us? I was in a a meeting with the the leaders of the Wednesday night prayer ministry. We have a a healing and deliverance ministry every Wednesday night in the chapel. We usually have 20 or 30 people that will come for healing of some kind or deliverance. And um, we were talking about hearing from God and moving in the spirit and all of that. And one of, the, one of them said, you know, this is normal Christianity. Everybody should be doing this. And it's absolutely true, isn't it? It is normal Christianity. And, and yet it, it, it's, it's something that we, we often kind of, uh, we, we know it's there, but we don't quite know how to approach it. I'm going to give you a primer. I'm, we're going to go right over the basics again. Because I believe that what God wants to do will have everything to do with you and me hearing what he tells us to do. And then doing it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? You start praying for a family. You start praying for a job situation. You start praying for your school. You start praying for your children. The answer is going to be coming as he speaks to you. You know, he will tell you something. And if I can't hear him, or if I don't know how to move and let let his power come into the situation... I've, I've, I, the whole thing stops. The whole thing gets bogged down. So you and I, I've, I've been over this. None of this is new to many of you. But doing it, learning to do this, learning to be comfortable with it, learning to understand it, I just feel like we're, we're going we're to visit it again. So here we have a thing called the four Vs. Uh, these are my, my brilliant invention. Uh, yeah, it's pretty strange, but, we, but it works for me. All right. Believe it or not, the problem isn't that we need to get God to start communicating with us. He already is. He has been ever since we were born. You and I don't become spiritual when we give our life to Jesus. We have always been spiritual. God created all humans in his image, which means we are spiritual beings. When we gave our life to Jesus, the barrier between us and God is removed and because we now want to obey him, our relationship with him changes. But our spiritual capacities have always been there. Here are four ways God communicates with us. There's a class that uh, we have in our, in our Life Ministry Institute. We have a, a series called Spiritual Formation. And in that, there are three classes. The first one is called uh, Hearing God's Call. The second one was called Discovering God's Gifts, and the third one is developing godly character. The first one, I mean, I wrote these, so they're, in my opinion, really good. <laughs> but we take in this thing a very different approach than you might expect. You would think what we have is some kind of aptitude tests we give you, and you you, you check, you know, people. Uh, do you like this? And 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 then we'll score it out and you'll come out and you'll either be a red or a blue or a yellow or, or, or you'll be a, you know, a YWXM uh, or whatever it is. And people like you like stuff like this. That's the way we approach it in the natural with the mind, is it not? I don't know that that's wrong. I just know, I'll tell you this, I've done enough of it. It doesn't motivate anybody. They all go, hey, cool. And that's as far as it goes. I have, I've done it, I've just, I, just, I know what happens with that sort of stuff, myself included. What, I've, what I'm doing, and in in then in the calling class is completely different, and some people have called it. I've had one person call, it, tell me it was touchy-feely. No, it's not, it's spiritual. What I do is I guide you, I help you, I make you do a spiritual uh, history uh, of your life. And I give you questions to just begin to ask and reflect on. And then we dialogue in those things. It's not, it's not a, it's some reading, but it's not an academic class. I believe that God has been talking to you since you were born. And I believe if I can help you just get back and remember, you will hear times and you'll go, and they'll come that moment, you go, oh, he's always been saying that to me. And I've watched it happen now with lots of people. And what happens when you go, oh my goodness, I know what he wants me to do. The lights go on in your eyes. Your heart starts to burn. Actually, it has been burning. You're getting in touch with it. And you're inwardly motivated. I don't need to push you, guilt you, manipulate, manipulate, I don't need to do anything but get out of the way and see that you get the training you need. That's all what has to happen because you're burning inside. You're on your way someplace. Do you follow me? Let me tell you something about calling. It is not what you do. It is not, here's your aptitudes. Your calling, listen to me, is to people. God will give you a compassion, a deep concern, a burden, if you will, for need, human need. There'll be people, situations, uh, and and, and inside yourself, you can tell it's there because there's that frustration. You say, why isn't somebody doing something about this? You're the one who's supposed to. Serious. He put that in you. That's your call. He gives us compassion is the way the Bible would say it. He has put a compassion in you. For certain things. no. yes, we, we care about all need. But, who, but God, God focuses. He, we, he weaves us. He makes us. So that in you, there's a concern and a compassion. And, and, and I, won't, I won't go on and on. But when you find that. When you realize he's always been talking to you. You light up. I, I was talking to a group of Bible college students a while back. And I, 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 I sauntered over to him and I said, so what are you guys going to do when you graduate? And their answer, they kind of looked at me by like a cow looking at a new gate, you know. That. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, like when you graduate, what, are you, what kind of ministries are you gonna, you're training for? And, and the, the, the look continued. And then one said, well, she plays the guitar. And now, look these are bright young people. These, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them. What's happening is, it, is systemic in, our, in the church of Jesus Christ. If I were to ask many of you, what are you called to do? How's God made you? You'd look at me like a cow looking at a new gate. And, and, and it's wrong. Because you see, the Bible says very clearly, you were formed in your mother's womb to do specific service for God. That's what that's about, Psalm 139. It's nothing to do with what you'll look like. It's entirely about you've been made to do what he destined you to do. And when you, do, when you line your life up, listen to this. When you line your life up with what you're, what you're made to do, You are really good at it. Why? God made you to do it. That's why you're good at it. Because he designed you that way. You are lining yourself up with the very call that God and and design that he's put in you. Let's look at these ways that he's, he's, uh, he's talking to us. First of all is verbal. This form of communication is in words. We hear God say something to us, but very seldom do we hear his voice with our physical ears. Our spirit can hear things said in the spirit, so we know what we heard, but we can't tell you how we heard it. The problem in this area arises because we can hear other voices besides God's. Sometimes what we might think is God's voice is actually coming from our own mind, Or on occasion, there may be doubts or horrible thoughts that seem to be inserted into our minds by a demonic source. Learning to distinguish which is which and to ignore or silence one while listening carefully to the other is a very important way we mature as believers. It's as though someone spoke to you, but you don't hear it with the physical ear. Sometimes it's very strong, Sometimes it is not very strong; it's just very gentle and very quiet. But you have a sense. I think I just heard something. Now you test it. Now you hold it, Lord. Is this you? Does it does it endure? Is it does it seem right and wholesome? Is it is it something that would please the Lord? You know, you test it a minute, but then you you then you then you stepped out and act on it. I could give all kinds of illustrations. It, it becomes, a, honestly, it becomes a normal part of life. This isn't once or twice in your lifetime you'll have this kind of thing with a burning bush. This is this is this is part of life. How many of you say, "I know what that is. I know that voice. I've heard it." Raise your hands high. Hold them up. It's important to see that. Look, just look. Almost everybody. Why? Because it's the way you're made. It's who you are. You're 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 made in the image of God, and He's been talking to you. Even before you knew him. It doesn't start when you become a Christian. It's always been there. It's that we didn't always submit to him. We didn't love him. We didn't listen to him. That's a whole other matter. All right, number two, visual. This form of communication is in pictures, which we see in our mind or dream in our dreams. And we might become aware that we are watching ourselves do something in a visual image. Much like a daydream. Sometimes we may see the same image more than once. But those images, just like words, must be tested to see if God is truly the source. Again, there may be be self-generated images or ones that may have been placed in our minds by by the enemy. On occasion, God might show a picture that contains a symbol, such as a tree or a rainstorm or darkness. or, Or you might see color. Uh, Animals or the glory of the Holy Spirit that we do not understand when we first receive it. We must prayerfully seek God for the interpretation or seek help from others. This is how I have learned to to, to function. When I started out in in ministry, I I didn't intend to be a pastor. I just was being a youth pastor at seminary uh, because they told me I had to go get a job and uh do that and i did and and um I started with two 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 young girls and and neither one were saved and then one left, and one got saved and and then from there we grew, and I got these kids, uh most of them just kind of off the streets, and they got born again, and they got baptized in the holy spirit then I remember I remember thinking, no one had taught me how to run church. I had no idea how church was supposed to be. I wasn't raised in church. Remember that? I mean, my mom mom took me a couple seances, but that's not what you want to do. We're not going to do that. Uh, So I don't know church. So I, little did I know, all I did is I took the Bible and said, it's got to be in here somewhere. What are you supposed to do when you have church? Uh, I, the only place I found it was in First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, verses fourteen. Which that'll turn you into Pentecostal, if anything will. And um, so, I remember sitting with a, with probably ten or fifteen young people, and we're sitting there, and, and I had led worship, and I said, "All right, now we're gonna we're gonna do what it says here in in Corinthians chapter twelve. It says he just gives the Holy Spirit, and and he gives to one this gift, one to this gift, one to this gift. So all right, everybody, just wait on God and then do what he says. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we go. We're we're waiting on God and just whatever comes. You go ahead. Are you there? (laughs) And I said, it says here he'll give stuff. So come on. I'm not really making this up. I'm just remembering. And so I said, Lord, what do I do? And I saw myself. I I learned. I'd still do this. This is how I I function. I said, Lord, what do I do? And I saw myself. Ask each one. So I started right over here to my left. And I said, all right. God says he's given stuff. So he is. What are you hearing? And, And one by one. Every one of those young people shared what God had given them. It was profound. It was incredible. Not one didn't have something that was just wow. But they were all intimidated, and we didn't know how to do it. I saw it, and I have been living on that ever since. Today, if I minister to you, I don't. If you, if, I, if you, I get, I'm not going to come with. A, I don't have a, a ministry plan. I don't have a style. It's like, okay, God, here we are. There there this person is. Would you show us what to do? And he will. And I see it. Just this sort of gentle impression. I can see the thing. I test it a minute. Maybe it's a word that I hear. I wait on him. That's how I function. I think this 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 is normal. You just have to have the courage, as it were, or the desperation, as was my case. I didn't know what else to do that just pushed me out of my zone, that fear, until I learned to say, okay, if I'm careful with this, it works. You know, you might think, well, I'll make mistakes. What if I do make mistakes? Well, what if you do? Then you apologize and said, I made a mistake. Oops. And then you move on. This is the only way we learn. And may I say this? When you you have a tender heart and you, you have integrity, and you do, you want to do the right thing, you will very seldom make a mistake it is amazing how accurate it will be it'll kind of stun you like wow i mean you'll say something and somebody will go how did you know that well i don't i don't know i just and you realize we are working together god aren't we you are in me and i am in you we're we're one we're we're partners in this we're working together in this i needed another v And so I call this visceral. If you aren't a biology student, that means you the viscera are or the organs in your body cavity. <laughs> Seat of emotions, never mind. This form of communication is in feelings. There are times the Holy Spirit touches our emotions to tell us something. For no apparent reason, we might feel alarm and realize we are in danger. Or a great peace or boldness might sweep over us during a great trial. In some of our weakest and darkest moments, we may suddenly be immersed in his love. We may start to grieve while talking to someone or feel joy. Just like words or pictures, emotions can have human or demonic sources. So they too need to be tested. But some of them are sent by God. He's trying to tell us something. You're, you're, you're driving someplace, or you're, you're there, and all of a sudden you feel alarm. This isn't safe. I don't know why. Nothing in the natural that I've seen, Nothing. I've, no, there's no reason I should feel this. I do feel this. You know, we need to get out of here. Or you're in a situation, everything looks really dangerous, but you have this deep peace, a sense, no, we're fine. We'll be all right. How many know what I'm talking about? That is the Holy Spirit, and it is real, and God is talking to you. You might be talking to someone, and you feel this deep grief over them. You you don't know why you feel it, but there's just this deep grief. You can sense the heart of God, the sadness of God. Something's terrible going on here. Those are are part of the way the Holy Spirit communicates. See, when I'm asking these questions, all your hands are going up. You're doing this. What I'm saying today is, it's normal. This is right. This is how we function. You're not, you're not strange. You're not emotional. You're not one of those, though you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. So am I. This is normal Christianity. It's what he was praying. The, Jesus prayed to the Father. I pray they do this. That they be with us. And we, they function just as you and I, Father, have functioned. Number four, again, I needed a V. Verseril. The verses of the Bible. This form of communication is produced by the Holy Spirit bringing to mind certain statements from the Bible. It is one of God's most common and effective forms of communication. In the midst of a trial, when we are feeling overwhelmed, suddenly a promise from Scripture bursts into our thoughts though we weren't thinking about Scripture at all. Or a verse that warns us not to do what we're about to do shouts at us and commands us to stop. In a lonely moment, we remember Jesus' promise that he will never leave us. In a desperate moment, we remember his pledge to protect us. This is also one of the most accurate forms of spiritual communication because unless we are twisting the intended meaning of a verse, and that does happen, we can be certain that the statement is accurate because it is from God's word. One of the best ways to learn to prophesy is to begin to simply read the scripture a lot and start memorizing scripture. And then when you're ministering to somebody, let that scripture come to mind. If, you, if you're ta- not taking it and somehow doing something with it, and you're not going to do that, when you bring that word, it's accurate. It's from the word. These are clear promises of God. You've got to be careful you don't take that thing and use it in a, in a way that God doesn't want it used. That's another matter. But the whole thing is he, 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 he speaks this through us. There I am, worried, discouraged, and the Lord speaks to my heart and says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I have never left you. I will never forsake you. There I am feeling overwhelmed or feeling attacked, and the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How many know this? Come on. Look at this, this is is the Holy Spirit, it is normal, This this is how he speaks to us. Now let's look at the power. The gifts of the Spirit, knowing what God wants to do in a particular situation is not enough. We must be able to draw on his divine power to help us, or we will fail. In a letter to the Corinthian church, Paul listed nine ways in which God helps us. Of course, he could have listed more ways than nine, but these de- describe the most, more, most fundamental ways God has given his power to us. Let's review them briefly. Now, what I do is I'm putting the definitions right into the text. So it says, but to each one, this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To how many are given this manifestation of the Spirit? Each one. How many in this room are in each one? That was about five, six. sets. That was, I was really hoping for a better response than that. Do you, do you understand you're in each one? So to whom does the Holy Spirit give something? Correct. Exactly. And by the way, New Testament church was basically a potluck dinner. Everybody brought what God gave and we all shared together and are fed. You see that? That's how they functioned. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom. We know the solution to a problem. There you are talking to somebody. They're pouring out their hearts. There's, there's all of these worries and troubles. You, you don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Then suddenly you can you, you see it. And you say, well, you, you know what you should be... You should. I know what we need to do. It's this. And the person on the other end goes that's it, that's it, how did you know that, you go, I don't know, <laughs> I don't, all of a sudden, there's the key, there's this, there it is, how many know what this is, it's a word of knowledge, I mean a word of wisdom, pardon me, how do we solve this, it's why you stop and pray, have you ever talked your way through a thing till you're exhausted? They're exhausted. Everybody's said everything twice. No one has an answer. And you really need to dismiss the meeting and just go home. And somebody says, why don't we pray? And you go, oh God, help us. We don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden a solution comes. That's the word of Wisdom. This is our birthright, people. This isn't, for, this isn't for somebody, occasional people. It isn't like certain people are word of wisdom people. The Holy Spirit gives to his people, all of us, each one, as the need is there, as the ministry is there, as the situation is there. This is a, these are the tools in your toolbox, if you will. And to another, the word of knowledge. God tells us something we didn't discover through natural means. You suddenly know, why I I know what's going on here. According to the same spirit, to another, faith. The inner assurance that our request has been heard and will be answered. It's one thing to try to say, I know God will help me. I know God will help me. It's one thing to kind of keep saying in the mirror over and over again, I can do all things, you know, and, 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 tr- and you're trying to talk yourself into it. It's another thing when your heart suddenly goes, this is done. We got this. God heard us. It, I think that's one of the fundamental feelings. We've been heard. he He's on, he's gone, he's on this. What do you mean he's on it? Look at it. We haven't got no money left. We'll be all right. I just know we're going to be all right. I I I know it seems silly, but I know we're going to be all right. I mean, you know what this is? This is the gift of faith. It, it, I mean, there's different ways you approach faith, but one of the most precious is this, where the Holy Spirit just imparts faith, and you, boy, when it hits you, you know you got it. It's not something you work up. It's just something that's there. This deep abiding sense. And how lovely it is. Because often it's given in the darkest of hours. You, you, nothing in the natural gives you any reason for hope. And this, suddenly this thing's planted in you. And you go, I know I seem crazy. We will prevail here. God's going to do something. He's going to win that child. I know, I know how bad it looks. That child has been given to the Lord. That child will believe you know it you live on it you survive on it it's these are these are these are these are life and breath to us to the another a gift of healings the physical disease is instantly gone it begins to recede miracles god is a wonder that can't ex- be explained by natural forces prophecy a person speaks what they hear god say distinguishing of spirits recognizing the true source of some word or event whether it is from god or the flesh or the devil Various kinds of tongues, letting the Holy Spirit speak through us in a language we don't understand. Please don't be afraid of that. That is not, it's not any stranger or any less miraculous than the others. It's just a wonderful part of, of our life. Interpretation of tongues, understanding what a person is saying when he or she is speaking in tongues. Just a little aside I'll put in here. For those of you that pray in the Spirit, you can actually ask the Lord to give you the interpretation of what you prayed in the Spirit. And, and he will do that. And what you'll hear is often Godward adoration and praise. And, and so you, you pray in the Spirit, then you suddenly have this wonderful sort of Spirit-inspired adoration and praise, and then you go back in the Spirit. Uh, I've had some of the most beautiful times of my life uh, praying that way. A step of faith. Once we discover how God communicates with us and learn to recognize the ways in which his Spirit helps us, there is still a barrier that holds all of us, uh, the barrier that all of us must overcome before we can enter into a relationship with God like Jesus had. Once we perceive God's will, there is nearly always an uncomfortable step of faith that must be taken. We have to do something or say something before we see the Holy Spirit step in and perform a miracle. That first step is never really really becomes easy. Because God is constantly asking us to do something impossible unless he performs a miracle. (sighs) To step into the life that Jesus is talking about. and, And this is maybe the reason some of us have been hesitant to do it. It requires not just once. It requires constantly this process of saying, God, here we go. I trust you. And you step out. Here's the problem. God asks us to do things that are impossible. Your mind assesses the situation. You look at it and you say, we can't do this. There's simply not enough money. This isn't going to work. And in the natural, you're right. God is saying, I'm asking you to do this. And if you'll do this, I will do a miracle. So it never gets comfortable. Leading Ministering, serving in the Spirit is always tiring, stretching, awkward, embarrassing. Am I coaching you into this? I mean, do you want it now? (laughs) I say this not to put you off, but to say, if you feel that, so do I. I still do. I still do. It's still like, oh, God. And that, that part doesn't really go away. But what comes of it, I'll tell you, the, the positive side that does come from it is that after a while, you begin to see a track record. You begin to see God's faithfulness. And you go, well, I'm getting used to this feeling. Here we go. And, and, and he actually can do bigger and bigger steps with you. Because you, 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 you become increasingly confident. I know my God can do this. I know my God can do this. Lord, I pray that they be One. Even as, my, as you and I, Father, are one, I pray that they be in us, we, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I pray that they function just like I have. The question you and I have to answer today isn't, can we do this? We can. The Father gladly answers his son's prayer. The question you and I face is, will we seek God's guidance? And then take that step of faith. If we do, another part of Jesus' prayer will be answered. Would you read this with me? So that the world may know that you, Father, sent me and loved them as you have loved me. When we function in the Spirit, the world meets Jesus. It meets the power of God. Would you stand with me? So we've asked, Lord, would you do a wonder in this year? Would you do something in our family? Would you do something in where we work? Would you change something in our marriage? Would you do something with our children, with our parents? Would you do a wonder, O God? And then we feel we've heard from the Lord that this is a year in which he, does, he, he commits to himself. And he says, I'm going to have you come with a, uh, your arms full of a sheaf and a shout of joy. Well, How's that going to happen? Well, we're going to start praying more. We're going to structure it into our lives. We're going to find ways in which we're interceding and praying with authority in the Lord's name. The more we pray, the more he talks. And so he talks to those who surrender to him and call on him. And he says, now, here, son, here, daughter. is what I want you to do. Do this. And you'll have that step of faith, that uncomfortable, oh, boy. I will tell you, test it. Listen. And if the Lord holds that thought there, do it. If you're wrong, apologize. Just say, I did it. Oops, thought it was God. I will tell you I'll bet you dollars to donuts you won't make a mistake. It's a very you don't usually. It's sort of surprising how how often and how real it is from God. You do those things. I keep saying this, there's a key to every lock. There's a key to every problem. Your family, your finances, your addiction you're, you name it there's a, and you say I, I've tried I've knocked on everything we've tried everything we know nothing's working I'm telling you there is a key to that lock but only God knows it and the way you get access to the key is he speaks to you one way or another says do this and then you do that you put that key in and turn it and boom all of a sudden there's a whole new equation everything's changed Only he knows that, and he does it as we pray, as the spiritual realm is sort of changed. He talks to you, guides you, calls on you to take a step of faith. You do what you're told, and the entire situation changes. This is New Testament Christianity. It's how the New Testament church functioned. It's how we are. We are sons and daughters of that church, amen? Jesus Christ is our Lord and our model, our teacher and our rabbi, And he says, this is how I function. It's how I want you to function. You can. You can do it beautifully. You can can open locks. Frankly, none of us can open. You're placed in situations, placed in areas of need where none of us can reach that except you. And God says he's going to do a great work. I believe him. Do you believe him? I do too. Not in the natural. I believe him in the spirit because I think he said that. Our Father, we stand before you as your sons and daughters. We love you dearly. You have given us a great promise. We do not look with natural eyes at our situation. We say that there is a God who can open every lock. There is a God who can move every wall. You can can do anything, Father. You are a great God and you are committed to it we open our ears and our hearts to listen to you. When you speak to us, we listen. We commit to you this year to pray more in a disciplined, consistent fashion. We commit to that. And when you guide us, when you reveal to us in whatever way you talk to us, we will test it and we will act on it. Blessed be God. And we know there's going to be a step of faith that scares us. And Lord, if we test it and know it's your voice, we commit to you, we'll take that step and we'll do exactly what you tell us to do. And by faith, this is a year of harvest. By faith, there is breakthrough. By faith, things that haven't moved will move because you are the God of heaven and earth. Because you are a God who knows the secrets of men's hearts. You know all things. You can do anything. Nothing is impossible with you. We put away fear, we put away doubt, we put away discouragement, and we just bless you for the year. We're glad to be alive. We're glad to be with each other. We're glad to know you. Thank you, Lord, for a year of harvest. In Jesus' powerful name, if you agree with my prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.